Um, we're continuing uh, this morning our series in the book of Acts, uh, the foundation of the church. Um, as we heard last week, we began to hear the mission of the church, the mission that is given to us in, in Acts uh, chapter 1, that the church is to go to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And that's the mission that Jesus gives to the early church and to us as the church today. And he's told those gathered on that day that the Holy Spirit would come with power so that they would be able to affect that mission. So that mission would be able to take place. But then Jesus ascended into heaven and for 10 days, they were alone. And no doubt, I almost wonder if in those 10 days they remembered those words of Jesus whenever Jesus said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And so they were waiting. And then as we're about to read in Acts chapter 2, we're about to read of when the power came through the Holy Spirit to the church. And that when a moment before they could do nothing, now they can effectuate and begin to participate in the incredible mission that Christ has for his church. So let's read uh, the word now, starting Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, saying, Men of Judah, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now as we dive into it, um, we truly pray that you would use your word 
to transform, to change our hearts, to mold us more and more into the image of our Savior, in the image of your beloved Son, and that we might truly understand this morning the incredible power that the Holy Spirit gives your church. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, many of us, there, there are incredibly decisive days in, in the lives of our, life of our country. There's decisive days in our own personal lives, right? Uh, there's these big days. You know, I remember September 11th, 2001. Many of us know exactly where we were. Um, I remember I'd just gotten finished with an early uh, morning class in seminary, and I was walking out the parking lot on my way to the, the Y, and Dr. Charles McKenzie grabs me by the shoulders in the parking lot and says, Steve, did you hear? A plane hit one of the World Trade Centers, and I was like, what in the world? I didn't even quite know what was going on or what he was talking about, and got to the Y and ended up staying there for quite a few hours as I saw another plane hit, as the towers fell, and it was a decisive day, a decisive day in our country, and, and the decisiveness, it brought change, right? Things changed in our country on that day, and similar things happened in our own lives, right, on those decisive days, uh, you know, when Adrian and I got married, that was a decisive day for us, and our lives changed as a result, and um, I can remember uh, a week or so after the wedding when we finally ended up back in our home in Willow Grove, PA, and um, this is real, like, we're, we're really married now, <laughs> our whole life has changed, um, and then, of course, child one, Grayson comes, and our whole life changes yet again, and... Um, and then Shepherd, and then Adeline, and with each child, the, our lives change, don't they? And there's adjustments that have to be made to the way we do life. What we read about in Acts chapter 2 is an incredible, incredible epical change that happens. It's, it's the conclusion of the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant begins in a mighty and incredible way, and it comes with some big changes with it as well. Let's read chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Here they are on the day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost wasn't a new thing for the people. This is 50 days after uh, the Passover, and this was the second big feast of the Jewish year. It's sometimes known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. And how incredible it is that on this on this day where they would celebrate the coming in of kind of like the first harvest, and they would offer up their first fruits to God, that it's on that day that Holy Spirit is given. That it's on that day that the, the, the first fruits of the new covenant take place. That what is a gathering of about 120 individuals in Jerusalem on that day is multiplied times 25 that it goes from 120 to over 3,000 believers there in Jerusalem on that day. The incredible first fruits of that day. Now what takes place, of course, verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you see what happened in there? They're, they're all gathered, 120 of them. They're all gathered in this room. And suddenly the sound like a mighty rushing wind. It's not a mighty rushing wind that comes in. It's Holy Spirit. Okay? But it's a sound like it. And the fact that it's a wind shouldn't be strange for us because the Old Testament word used um, for Holy Spirit is ruach. 
which means wind. And so it should be no surprise that how does Holy Spirit come down, but he comes down as wind, but not just as wind. How else? By these divided tongues of fire appeared over them and rested on each one of them. I mean, can you imagine being there on that day? Like you're suddenly looking around and like you got fire over your head and you got fire over your head and everybody's got fire and I got fire over my head. I mean, it must have, in some ways, it must have been a little, what in the world is going on here? And as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but be reminded of the fire that we see in the Old Testament in, in Moses' day. You remember that pillar cloud of day that, that led the Israelites by day and that pillar of fire that led the Israelites by night? Do you recall that? Um, well, what we learn in Isaiah, Isaiah tells us that, that that pillar cloud was no other than Holy Spirit. That it was the Holy Spirit that was leading them in the wilderness. And then later on, of course, where does that, where does that, that cloud and that fire, where does it take up residence? But in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, right? They build the tabernacle and then, and then it comes down upon it. I want to read just a little bit of that from Exodus chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it. Holy Spirit settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Sorry. Uh, throughout all their generations, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. So what did Holy Spirit do? He guided them, right, through their wilderness journeys. But what, is, what do we hear that he's doing here? He's setting up residence right there amongst the Israelites as they're encamped. All the people that are camped all around the tabernacle, all around the tent of meeting. And where does he take up residence? He takes up residence right in the middle of them. He tabernacles among his people. And so it shouldn't be that great surprise that as this, this flame comes over their heads, what's going on? But Holy Spirit is going to take up residence in his people's hearts. He's tabernacling in them. He's tabernacling with them just as Holy Spirit tabernacled among the Israelites. Now he tabernacles in the hearts of believers. It's incredible. It used to be that as close as they could get would be the outer most of that tent of meeting, right? You could only get so close. And now he sets up his temple in the hearts of believers. It's incredible to think of. And I want to be careful here. As we talk about Holy Spirit, we, we tend to think of Holy Spirit in very vague terms, don't we? But we need to understand that Holy Spirit is just as personal as is the Father and the Son. He's not this vague it. He's very personal. And to us as believers, in a sense, there, there might should be no one more personal in, in that He actually resides in the hearts of believers, he sets up his tabernacle in us. And so we should have a very, very personal connection with the Holy Spirit. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, there's incredibly, there's a decisive event that takes place here in Acts, right? And with decisive events comes decisive changes. There, there, there's some big changes that go on. There's some big effects from that. It's, it's kind of like Adrian and I, when, you know, we... We were happily married, and then we have 
a kid, and we were still happily married after that, because that could sound very bad the way that I phrased that. But then we have Grayson, um, and we are still happily married. Um, but it's like we, after we had Grayson, we were sitting around just looking at each other. Like, what in the world did we do before we had kids? We must have been the laziest people on planet Earth. Because suddenly your whole life is totally changed and it's centered around this child and then you add more into the mix. It's, it's fabulous, it's wonderful, but everything changes and things changed in a big way on that day. Verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven and the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. What are the people saying as they're, they're seeing this? As they're seeing suddenly these people speaking in a language that they can understand? I mean, it's not that they're speaking gibberish or something. They're literally speaking in all of these different languages. And on that day, people were hearing the gospel proclaimed in all of these different languages. It's amazing. And the people were bewildered. They're amazed. They're astonished. They're, they're perplexed. They say, they must be filled with wine. They must be drunk. They couldn't quite put together what was really going on here. But what was going on there was something incredible and something monumental. You, you may remember back to the Tower of Babel, right? In Genesis chapter 11, in Genesis chapter 11, what happens? But the, the people had all come together in one place, and they said, we're going to make a great name for ourselves. And so they built a tower with its heights up into the heavens, lest they be dispersed. Lest they be dispersed, lest they actually go out and multiply and fill the earth. And what does God do? To keep the people from cooperating in evil the way that they were cooperating, what does he do? He, he confuses their tongues. All the different languages of the earth are created, if you will, on that day. And so the people are no longer, because their languages are now different, their cultures are now different, they can no longer cooperate in doing evil in that way. And what we have happening here in Acts 2 is something incredible because it's like the reversal of what took place at Babel. Now, everybody doesn't all come back as one tongue, now do they? But Holy Spirit comes down and suddenly the curse is reversed, and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is able to be communicated across lines of ethnicity and culture and language. It goes out as it never has before. Up until that moment in Acts 2, the good news about Yahweh, the good news about our great God, where was it? It was just contained primarily in this one little country, and it never really spread beyond this one people. And on that day, something incredible took place as Holy Spirit came down and it began to spread like it never had before. And it began to spread among the nations. It began to go out and you read about the, the incredible missionary journeys and everything that take place in the book of Acts. And we see the gospel begin to spread. The good news about Jesus Christ, that he had died, that he had risen, that what he had conquered for you and I, that he had conquered sin, and death, so that we could have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's incredible. Tim Keller puts it this way. Well, on the first day of Jesus' church, he refused to choose one language or one culture 
to minister in. If the apostles had spoken in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, the signal would have been set that the gospel was primarily just for one people group. But the Lord on Pentecost shows the world that the gospel is what? For every tongue, for every tribe, for every people, and for every nation. It's, and we, you and I, we, the church, just as, as they had back then. Now, it's in a different way. It doesn't mean that you and I are going to go out today and be able to speak all these different languages, you know, that we can just show up in the middle of China and we're suddenly going to be able to speak Chinese. That, that's not the point. This was a, a certain gift for that certain day. But the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all believers, for all times. And we now have Holy Spirit so that barriers are broken down. So there needs to be no barriers. The ho- the, The work of Holy Spirit cannot be thwarted. Every tongue and every tribe and every nation will be reached with the gospel. There is no stopping the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I, we may struggle sometimes to cooperate with Him. We may try to resist His work in our hearts. But His power will not be stopped. He will do what he has come to do to bring those of every tongue and every tribe and every nation to Jesus Christ so that all would proclaim him. Now, the people were saying, they they must be drunk. Peter responds to it pretty quickly, doesn't he? And, And he responds by quoting from Joel. And he says this, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And what Peter is saying, this day has come, that that's what took place, that that prophecy of Joel had, had taken place. That the Spirit is being poured out on all flesh, male and female, that whole, that 120, they're all, they're all now filled with Holy Spirit. That what Moses had longed for is taking place. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, Moses says this, would that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. That is what Moses longed for, that all would have the Spirit like he had the Spirit. Moses was a prophet, and, and you know, he, want, he didn't want to be the only one that had Holy Spirit. He wanted all the people to have it, to all the people in that sense to be prophets. And that's what Joel is speaking of here. We think of prophets, we usually just think of, of future-telling. Um, but often in Scripture... It's, it's connected immediately just with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so, what, what Joel says is that all will prophesy, all will be prophets, all will receive Holy Spirit, and that's what takes place in Acts 2. Jew and Gentile alike will receive Holy Spirit if they confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you have Holy Spirit. There are no distinctions. All believers receive Holy Spirit without distinctions. So, all on that day, we're proclaiming the mighty works of God. 
And what are those mighty works? But the mighty works of Jesus. So this is an incredible day for the church. Epical change. Holy Spirit begins to go out. Holy Spirit takes up residence in the hearts of believers. But what does this mean for you and I? How does this really affect us today? How does Holy Spirit influence our lives? And in order to understand that, what I wanted to do for a few minutes is first think through how Jesus, how Holy Spirit worked in Jesus' life. Something that we probably don't really think of too often. But Holy Spirit worked in an incredible way in Jesus' life. I want to read a brief little quote from John Owen. He was an old Puritan guy. This is what he said. He said, The only singular immediate act of the person of the Son on the human nature was the assumption of it into subsistence with himself. Whatever the Son of God wrought in, by, or upon the human nature, he did it by the Holy Ghost, who is his Spirit, as he is the Spirit of the Father. Now, I'm sure that makes sense to all of you, correct? You followed John Owen. I know he's, he's old, he's dead, and he can be very hard to understand. But what he's actually saying is, in some ways, what I hope you'll see this morning, a very simple truth. You see, there's long been this thing, you know, Jesus was fully God, and he's fully man, right? And, and, and theologians have often stressed over, how do those things work together? Like, whenever he was on earth and, and doing his earthly ministry, did he just constantly reach over to his God nature, if you will? to do all these incredible things, to do all these incredible miracles? How did all that work? And theologians do all sorts of gymnastics to try to explain it. But what Owen, as, as hard as that was to read, because of just the way he writes, um, he's actually saying something quite simple, I think. What he's saying, that instead of Jesus, like, in his human nature, reaching over to his divine nature to do things, instead, every step of the way, Jesus relied on Holy Spirit. Every step of the way, he relied on Holy Spirit. So let's just think through the work of Holy Spirit in Jesus' life real quick. And I think that, that'll hopefully affect the way we think about Holy Spirit's work in our life. Just think about that term, Christ. Okay? What does Christ mean but anointed one? Anointed with what? Holy Spirit. Right? Think about Jesus' conception. How did that take place? Luke one thirty-five. What are we told what was Mary told? The, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. How, how did that take place? Through the work of? Holy Spirit. Okay, so y'all can respond a little bit this morning. That'll help this part of the sermon um, go much better. Um, but then at his baptism, okay, what, what happened at his baptism? You remember his baptism, right? Who came down like a dove? Okay, and Jesus is filled without measure, Right? Okay, now how about this? He's tempted in the wilderness, right? Who led him into the wilderness? Holy Spirit, the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, okay? And when he comes out of the wilderness, how is it that he comes out of the wilderness? Uh, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He, the Spirit leads him, the Spirit he comes out in the Spirit, and then just a few minutes later, you know, just a little bit later, he's, he begins to read from Isaiah, this prophecy from Isaiah, and he says, this prophecy is true of me, and so he reads Luke 4, 18, and what does it say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. How is it that he preaches? Through the Holy Spirit, Okay. Do you see how these things are coming together? Now, miracles. How is it that Jesus performed miracles? You might be guessing at least the answer I'm going to give. 
Matthew 12, 28, what does Jesus say? But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How does he say he was able to cast out demons? By Holy Spirit. Interesting. So was it Jesus reaching over to his divine nature to do miracles? Or was he walking just as we walk, in a sense, in his human nature? And relying every step of the way on Holy Spirit's work in his life and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Peter says this in Acts 10 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So much so that Acts 6, or Mark 6 5 tells us something very strange and he could do no mighty work there. Seems kind of strange to say of Jesus, but it makes sense if it's the Holy Spirit that's leading him and that this isn't the place for the mighty works right now and he's relying on Holy Spirit. It's not that he couldn't have done mighty works. It's that he was choosing to follow Holy Spirit every step of the way. At the very end of Luke 5, 17, we read, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. The power of Holy Spirit I believe, was with him to heal. Do you begin to see a connection here? What about Jesus' death? Hebrews 9, 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up without blemish to God? How did he offer himself up? With the spirit. Through the work of Holy Spirit, he was able to do that. How was he able to go to the cross? And then even his resurrection, Romans 8, 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Jesus from the dead, does Paul say? He seems to say the spirit does. Now that's a lot of passages to throw out there real quick. But the point of it is this. The point that I want us to understand is that during Jesus' earthly ministry, Holy Spirit was his inseparable and constant companion. He, he didn't, he, he walked in a sense just as you and I did. And how much more does that make of like Jesus being tempted in every way as we are? He, he wasn't able to succeed with those temptations and, and not be overcome by them because, oh, well, he's divine. So he just reaches over, if you will, and, into his divinity. no. I believe every step of the way he relied on Holy Spirit and the ministry of Holy Spirit in his life and he trusted and clung to Holy Spirit so that, as Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And how does he effectuate that? He does it through the work of Holy Spirit in his life. And so that's, that makes even more incredible what happens in, in Acts 2. What we hear in promise in Acts 1 of the power of the Holy Spirit coming down upon his people and his church. And now in Acts 2, his Holy Spirit being given to his church and being given to us and, and him taking up residence in our heart and in our lives. You, you, you see what, where this is going. That we, as believers, now have, have access to that same Holy Spirit as we walk in our human natures. Now we may resist it a lot. We may not cling to it as closely as we should, but we have access to that same Holy Spirit. He is our same constant companion, whether we acknowledge Him or not. If you are a believer, Holy Spirit is your constant companion. 
Now, he may be riding along in the car with you, and you may never talk to him. You, you may never, never, if you will, allow him to cooperate with, you know, cooperate with him in the work that he's doing. But he is there, and he is with you. So what does this mean in the very practical nature? Um, as, I, as I was thinking through this, I was reminded back in my young life days, we, we read a book called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. It's a book on evangelism uh, by Rebecca Pippert. And there's a, there's a fascinating story of whenever she first, the first time she shared the gospel with somebody, the first time she led somebody to Christ, she had started this small group kind of study um, with uh, unbelievers to kind of begin to share the gospel with them, okay? And, and the person who was mentoring said, Becky, you need to like start sitting down with those individuals one-on-one and, one and kind of calling them to faith and how are you going to respond? And um, she was terrified at the thought of sitting across the table from somebody and asking them, are, are you going to commit to Jesus or not? Um, she was terrified at the thought. And so she started out with the hardest core one, the atheist, because she assumed that he was going to immediately blow it off and they could just immediately go into normal conversation because she would have no idea what to do with somebody if they said, yes, I, want, I, 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 want, I believe in Jesus. And she would have no clue what to do. And so she tells the story. This is how it goes. She starts talking with this guy, this hardcore atheist, Todd. You've been part of this discussion all semester. You've heard a lot about God, but you've never decided what to do with God. One of these days, Todd, you're going to have to decide. Sooner or later, God is going to speak to you and say, decide now. And what are you going to say? I think I was still speaking when Todd said, you're right. God is speaking to me and I'm saying yes. But I went right along without inhaling. That's right, Todd. One of these days, God will reach out and what? what? And she immediately, what, what did you say? I said, God has been speaking to me right now, and I said, yes. Oh, Todd, don't, don't, don't play with me. She assumes he's joking. Becky, I'm not kidding. I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I'm ready now. Todd, listen to me. You can't rush into this. It's a huge decision. It will change your life so much. She starts, like, trying to convince him. Maybe you shouldn't do it. You know, I mean, you got to rethink through this. Are you sure, Todd? Look, Becky, this isn't an emotional decision. I know I put up a good front, but I've been thinking about God for a long time. Now look, I want to become a Christian. Right here? In this restaurant? In front of everybody? Todd, I just can't. Why not? Well, because I've never done anything like this before, she says. And then he, the atheist, he says, don't worry, I haven't either. I'll tell you what, let's close our eyes and I'll say something to God and then you do and it'll be over in just a few minutes. So here he is telling her, okay, this is what we'll do. And so we did it right there in a restaurant in Barcelona. When I opened my eyes, um, I still thought it could only be temporary. And then she begins to talk to him. Now, Todd, something Ruth, her mentor, always says is that conversion is a matter of your will. It's not a matter um, if you don't, of you feeling it or not. Um, it's your will that you've given to God. The emotions will come later. But there's just one thing I have to ask of you, Todd. And he says, sure, what is it? Do you feel any different? And he said, you bet I do. And then she looked at him in utter shock and said, Todd, oh my goodness, it works! <laughs> it works. She was shocked that Holy Spirit did his work. Would you be shocked if Holy Spirit did his work through you? On that day, it wasn't just Todd. The other hardest core one in her group, an agnostic, also came to faith in Christ. And she goes on to say, as reluctant and inept as I was, 
that night changed my life. Before my eyes, I saw the very two who seemed the least likely to turn their lives, the least likely turn their lives over to Christ. And how did that happen? Was it because she was really skilled at what she was doing? That clearly wasn't the case. It was because of the power and the work of Holy Spirit. He used Becky Pippert on that day, who felt incompetent in the process and in many ways was. She was a believer, though, who was indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and she was his witness. You see... We can't even think of going this on our own. We can't think of sharing the gospel without the work of Holy Spirit. He is the power. We can't think of doing life on our own without the work of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in and of itself just reminds us we can't do this on our own. We need Him. We need to cling to Him. If, if Jesus, of all people, needed Holy Spirit as His constant companion... Encouraging him every step of the way. How much more do you and I need Holy Spirit every day? John Stott put it this way. He said, as a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. And we and the church in Acts 2 was given the Spirit the power of the Spirit in the senses at our fingertips. We've been given the power of Christ, and this isn't something selfish for us. Holy Spirit definitely does a work in each of us internally, growing us in our holiness, okay, helping us to die to sin, right, and live more to Christ. That's part of the work of Holy Spirit in us, but it's not just given to make you and I better. Holy Spirit, as we heard last week from Acts 1, is given what? It's given so that we can take the good news of the gospel to Jerusalem, and to Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, so that we can take the gospel to Elkton, and to Northeast, and, and over into Newark, and to Bear, and then let it not even in there for us. Let it not in there, but also that we as a congregation can be a part of taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth. That we, as, as a congregation, can be radical senders, of people out on the mission field who can, in a sense, be a part of us in taking that good news to the ends of the earth. That's why we're so excited about starting this missions committee, so excited about the fact that we'll be tithing as a church towards global missions, foreign missions. It's, it's so exciting that we will be able to be a part in that way. But I also need to say this, maybe, just maybe, even somebody in this congregation, maybe even multiple people, need to go. Maybe some of you or someone here may need to go and be one of those missionaries. You see, Holy Spirit came. Holy Spirit came for a mighty purpose, a mighty purpose so that all would proclaim Jesus Christ as King, that every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, so that the gospel would go to the very ends of the earth, so the new heavens and new earth can come and we can enjoy him for all of eternity. So as you and I, as we go into this week before us, let's be reminded, don't forget, don't lose sight of the fact that you have Holy Spirit as your constant and inseparable companion. 
And he, he's not just working on you. He also wants to use you. He wants to use you, maybe like Becky Pippert. He wants to use you to be his witnesses. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we are reminded of your call to take the good news of the gospel into our community and out from there into the rest of the world, we're reminded often of our ineptness <laughs> or thinking that we're inept, but, but it's really because we don't understand that it's not about us. Yes, you will use us as your witnesses. But ultimately, it is about the power and the work of Holy Spirit to change and regenerate hearts. Changing them from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh that confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Oh, We're so thankful that you've called us to be a part of your mission. Would you help us as a people, help us as a congregation to be actively a part of that mission, not just leaving it to others, but that we, we would desire deeply to be your witnesses. And we're so thankful that we have the constant and inseparable companion of Holy Spirit to be at work in us, molding us to look more and more like you, but also as the power to be witnesses to our watching world. Would you go with us as we go into this week, we pray, in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. And now would you 